Hey everyone, Craig here. Our Wheel of Time themed giveaway is here. Toward the end of this episode, I will reveal the third word of the day. What I will fail to do, however, is give enough details on the rest of the rules. So, here we go. When you have the completed three-word phrase, tweet it at us along with your preferred prize. Remember that the prizes are a hardcover copy of A Memory of Light with a message from us if you'd like, a Legendarium t-shirt, or a Wheel of Time adult coloring book. Now, this is the important bit. You have until the end of the day on Friday, March 3rd to send us that tweet. The end of the day, wherever you are. That's fine. We will reveal the winner during the first episode on the fires of heaven. So, good luck, may the light shine on you all, and welcome to the Legendarium. Hey, I'm going to badger you and tell you finally break down and then we're going to kiss each other because that's what happens in (laughs) (laughs) rom-coms. All right, uh, we are back for the Legendary Podcast episode number, I think it's like 125 or something like that. Gosh, we've done so many of these stupid things. <laughs> and uh, it's the Shadow Rising discussion number two. Now, I'm Craig Hanks, your host, and uh, if he were a fish, he wouldn't survive outside a pool of Pepsi. It's Kyle Lemon. I'm I'm cool with that. I, if I were a human, I wouldn't survive out outside of a pool of Pepsi. <laughs> and why spend $15 on a movie when you can stay home and imagine burying him alive for free? It's Ken Johnson. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have to breathe because I don't have a heart. <laughs> Wait, is that how that works? And uh, just like last episode, he's still coming in remotely. So I've renamed him Skypey McSkyperson. It's Ryan Bruckman. Beep, beep, boop, beep, boop. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> Taveran, Taveran. Uh, tug, tug your braid a little bit. It was, tug, wasn't that, wasn't brain, that, the, that was the joke, right? Um, all right. So we are back for a second discussion of The Shadow Rising. Before we get to that, I'll just remind everybody, patreon.com slash legendarium. Please support the show there. We would greatly appreciate it. Not only can you support the show and have great feelings in your heart, Uh, which is where great feelings belong. But you can also, if you are a $3 donor, uh, get double entry into our giveaways. We do these every so often. In fact, we're doing one now. And uh, later in this episode, I will reveal the third word of the day. And uh, when you get all three words of the day, the rule is tweet at me with uh you can hashtag it i guess if you want to or you don't have to but uh the phrase that you get with the three words of the day tweet that at me uh, at at legendarium pod and specify which prize you would like to get there are two hardcover versions of a memory of light there is one t-shirt a legendarium podcast t-shirt and there is one um uh, a coloring book, a Wheel of Time adult coloring book, which I think is super dope, by the way. It's it's going to be so <laughs> I fun. I was thinking you were going to say like mystery flavor, like <laughs> the white with the question mark. Like. <laughs> so no, uh, anyway, if you have a preferred prize, uh, go ahead and throw your name in for that. Um, in fact, you can rank them if you would like to. Which one uh, comes in at number one, which one's number two, and which one's number three, and I'll see if I can match people up with uh, their prize. Basically, we'll get uh, everybody's Twitter handles in, everybody who sends uh, sends in the phrase that we get you, and uh, you'll all be thrown into a hat, and we'll draw names at random, and those people, we'll try to get them the uh, the prize they wanted. Going to be a very big hat. 
So anyway, uh, that'll be coming up in, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes. So let's get started. I don't think there's anything else I wanted to mention uh, up front. So let's talk about the book. Now, when we last left uh, in episode 123, our first part of the Shadow Rising discussion, we had talked a lot about Rand um, and Matt and the glass columns and Ruidion and kind of what happened in the waste um, with with Rand specifically. We didn't get too much of Egwene. We didn't talk at all about Perrin and Fael and that group. We talked and about so the girls. I think eventually oh, we'll we'll want to get to that stuff. But I thought maybe we would go back and kind of start again, start from the beginning of the book. And we also didn't talk about the uh, the battle that happens in the Stone of Tear right up front uh, at the at the mm-hmm. beginning of the book. So there were a couple of things that happened in that that I that I noticed. Okay, first of all, Lanfear shows up. That was interesting. There is there is uh, a Trolloc who seems to have some sort of a conscience. And then there's a little girl who Rand tries to resurrect uh, or whatever we want to call yeah, it. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting too because if you go back and you listen to the Dragon Reborn part two, when we when we finish, Ryan ends up like with his final thoughts and he brings, to, you know, brings up a really good point. At the end of the Dragon Reborn, Rand gets... Kalandor, it's the one of the most powerful Sarangrial that has ever existed. He now has the power to do anything. And he actually even says, you know, with this in my hand, there's nothing that I can't do. And then immediately in the beginning of the Shadow Rising, he, you know, wipes out these Trolloc forces and just becomes this giant storm of power and kills all these things. And he finds this little girl and she is dead. And he tries to pull all the power that he can through Kalandor and he tries to resurrect her. And so it's kind of the it's kind of the moment where it's like, there is nothing that I can't do, and then he immediately runs into something that he cannot do. And it I think really messes him up a little bit because he is basically making this, you know, dead body move. Reanimate. Yeah, yeah, reanimate with the power. And Moraine is sitting there talking him down and saying, you can't do this, not this. And just that image to me and that scene to me is super powerful for the characterization of Rand and, like, knowing that there is a limit to what you can do, dude, even if you have Kalandor in your hands. And then... Once he gets this awesome Sarangriel sword, what does he do with it? He sticks it right back where he found it. That he does. Yeah. Um, I, the, but with the it. other thing, there's one other thing about the trying to resuscitate the girl that I think, I don't know if it's going to be a big deal, but you can extrapolate from it that at least in this world, um, there seems like there's a soul there's something like that exists outside of the power like if just reanimating the body would have brought her back to life there's a piece of her missing and what that tells me is that there might be an ability for someone who is dead to interact with this world somehow um 
or if you know so it could be that the dark one or someone could uh, could take that portion of somebody and infuse it elsewhere i mean i'm kind of thinking that in combination with uh, ordith uh and fane like um or mortith is who i'm thinking of uh, you know that these this spirit of another being uh can be forced into something so else i think possession that basically just, yeah I th- this i think this tells us that you know, the, you can extrapolate from this that that sort of thing is possible in in Randland. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting too. I would this is a whole different discussion, and it's a larger, I guess, theological idea for for Randland and how it works. But you know, the hundred companions that are that are tied to the Horn of Valier, they're all dead. Yeah. You know, it or, or like the even the idea of the dragon's soul itself, or the the whole concept of the Wheel of Time. That like Ryan said, there is a soul somewhere, and you know, this little girl's soul has gone to wherever it is that it goes. I don't know where souls go when they die in Randland mm-hmm. or whatever. But Rand, or, yeah, Rand and using the one power does not have the ability to reconnect a soul with a body. But to Ryan's point, is there a power that does? And is it going to be a strictly evil thing? Or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's there's a lot going on right there. Um, okay, so uh, I I also yeah. want to talk about the uh, Trolloc with a conscience. Did anybody else catch that? I, I I'm not misremembering him. I I mean it was what, like what like I three hundred thousand words ago. Yeah, so. I didn't I didn't necessarily catch him with a conscience, but I, there was a Trolloc that was acting untrolloc like. What I, I understood is that there were actually different bands of Trollocs. Okay, so. Yes, but it was still. I mean, I so it was different so it wasn't, objectives. He wasn't necessarily saving Rand. He was just killing another Trolloc. Yeah, so, I mean, and he might be, because remember, the Forsaken are all a bonds. What, the first, what, <laughs> what did that mean? I can't even remember that. What just that means. means that they're, they're everywhere. They, oh, okay. They, they're, they're everywhere now. <laughs> they're, no lo- they're no longer bound. Okay. And they're, they have their own plots and schemes, and, and obviously, if Rand's going for Kalandor, there are going to be you know, evil forces forsaken trying to meddle in what's going on there. Right. And and I don't know who sent the Trollocs or whatever, but there's definitely more than one band of Trollocs there or one, you know, more than one forsaken, I think, meddling in there right. and sending their Trollocs in. So what you're Some saying- of them are there. Some of them have sent them in to try to kill everybody in the stone and kill Rand. And some of them have sent them in to combat that attack. So it's like a counterattack to the... It's like a Trolloc counterattack to a Trolloc attack, if that makes sense. What you're saying is it's Forsaken on Forsaken crime. Yeah, so some of them want Rand dead, some of them don't want Rand dead. Some of them want Kalandor, some of them have other schemes going on. And uh, that's what I gathered was not necessarily the con- that the that the Trolloc is saving Rand that because he has a conscience, but whether he's saving Rand deliberately because he's been commanded to or he's simply there to eat other Trollocs. <laughs> Does he, doesn't he get a name? Uh, doesn't the Trolloc get named in this? Uh, the one that shows up in his house and they have the world has a name. Oh, is that the one? Oh, okay. Narg. Is that what Narg. it is? Uh, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm just putting stuff together that has no Anyways, business being yeah. together. Okay. Um, all right. Now, the other thing that happens in the stone at the beginning of the book is um, his uh, Rand is getting all up on Elaine, mm-hmm. right? 
and oh, they're, yeah. they're kissing in corners and whatnot. Um, and then she sends him two letters, two very contradictory letters, apparently. Uh, is there anything to talk about with this, or or do we just kind of it's, roll our eyes at the? It's uh, stupid. That's we have something about. to talk about that is related to this, but is not directly this. Okay, what is this? That we finally have, even though it was pretty well clear, the end of the will they won't they with he and Egwene. Yes. Oh that's yeah, true. that was nice. That was it was good to get some closure on that. Yeah. It it was yeah. good to get out of tear, because everything in tear was was all that was wrong with the first three books in terms of oh really? the way well, to me it was it, uh, I, and i didn't remember it because everything else in the book was so just action-packed but looking back through my notes it was a lot of the something bad happens and it it must be Rand's fault and nobody learns anything everything is Rand's fault uh, or it's moraine's fault or every woman is just doe-eyed and catty and all this everything was just dumb, you know, and the the, the ran or the land and Nynaeve <laughs> well, love story are, was awful. You are not making any friends right now, Ken. The, basically, the first sixteen chapters of this book was <laughs> like, oh, can we stop this? I, in fact, I wrote a big in, in big letters. Good heavens, enough talking. Let's get to the punching. Um, stop talking about boys. <laughs> I, I I didn't mind it so much. I think the I I was very relieved to get out of the Stone of Tear, but for different reasons. There was uh, there were a lot of different people, a lot of different point of view characters in the same place in the Stone of yes. Tear, yeah. and so when we finally got out, I realized I was kind of exhausted switching between point of view characters in the same place, and when we got to a point where we were switching between Elaine and Nynaeve, and then Perrin, and then Rand and Matt, um, it, that was easier for me for some reason it, um, yeah for me too do you, i yeah, i'm not saying know, it makes a lot of sense you i get guess a little it's bit just, of reprieve yeah from whatever storyline you're in or or just a change of scenery as it, well it really was getting everybody off on their own adventures really did ease a lot of the confusion and so and so speaking of going off on their own adventures let's finally talk about perrin and uh and by that i mean lord perrin because he heads off to the two rivers and fights in some battles and becomes Lord yeah. Perrin. Now, uh, I guess we'll just go chronologically. And so I should mention, if I never, ever, ever see the ways again, <laughs> oh my God. it will be too soon. Um, when we first saw the ways in book one, it was, it was really cool. It was a nice Moria-esque uh, section of the book. Definitely mirrored that right down to... Pot on Fane kind of goleming behind them, sneaking right. around. Uh, and then we go to the ways again. Was it in book two or book three that we went through the ways again? And now we've gone into them a third time. And every single time, it's it's the exact same thing, right? Yeah. We go into the ways and then uh, we enter, we wander, black, quiet, almost there. Black wind, run! And then the black lost smoke monster gets them, yeah. And, then, <laughs> and they barely escape. And so it's it's just like, yeah, I, yeah, it was very wearisome. Like, find something new to do in the in the ways. Or I use them. And you know I what, guess yeah, just even don't, if you use them, but we don't need to know that you're Yeah, doing. don't describe them all over again. Like, okay, they pop out of the ways. Yeah. Ooh, Chapter the 27, they go in again. the ways. Chapter 33, they come out of the ways. And we never <laughs> see in between. That's fine. I mean, it wasn't that long this time, but, well, but, but still. Let's, yeah. let's take a tip, step back and talk about why Perrin even goes back to the two rivers in the first place. Okay. All right. So the whole 
thing that's going on in the two rivers is all because of our favorite Gollum-esque character, Pat Ordeath, on Fane. Okay. Ordeath, Pat on Fane. Um, is it the Dragon Reborn that he is in the prologue and he's talking to the Lord Captain Commander? Yes, yeah, I think he's so. He's whispering and in he, ears. Yeah, and, and he's whispering in ears and he basically makes it happen. We're going to take the White Cloaks to the two rivers and his whole reason for doing that is to lure Rand. Rand. Right. And Rand knows that Pat on Fane is this weird, just terrible thing. Right. We don't even know what, yeah. what he is, he's, but he's Rand knows. He's completely unhinged. And yeah, homicide. Rand knows that he's after him, that he is dangerous, and that he's doing this to get Rand, you know, to trap Rand. And Rand and Perrin kind of have a discussion about going back to the two rivers, and Perrin is the one that ends up going. Um, and Rand can't go for whatever reason. I mean, he's got he's got his own Dragon Reborn-y stuff to do, <laughs> and Matt decides he's not going to go either, and so it's on Perrin, and, and Perrin has his own reasons for going as well because he knows that the White Cloaks know his name, he's worried about his family, but the underlying reason that the White Cloaks are even there in the first place is Ordeath. It's because Pat and Fane stirs him up. And it makes it really easy when you've got, um, uh, oh, what's the guy's name? The uh, the White Cloak. Dane Bornhold. Bornhold, who is blinded by hatred. Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's an easy person to manipulate. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Anything else you want to talk about with, with that? Or should we yeah, actually go into the two rivers? No, let's go. Let's go. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you have something to say. Well, I just, I just, I just think it's interesting that Ordeath, he, stir, he stirs up Bornhold to get ran and totally misses the fact that Bornhold doesn't care about Rand. He cares about Perrin. So it, mm-hmm. is this, is this uh, Ordeath really isn't as smart as he thinks he is? Or I don't think that mm. he takes into account Rand's, you know, drive or Rand's, I guess Rand's well, his duty, the, the duty that he feels to, to fulfill these prophecies and to do, you know, his whole thing in the Dragon Reborn and then the first part of this book, when Moraine's trying to ask him, what are you going to do? You need to move on Kyrian. You need to do this. You need to do that. And Rand just keeps saying to himself, I'm going to do something that nobody expects. You know, nobody's going to know what I'm going to do, and I'm going to surprise them all. So he opens he up knows. his own donut shop, pretty much. <laughs> and he, every, and yeah. everybody goes, what? But he knows that Pat and Fane wants him to go to the Two Rivers, so he's not touching that. He knows that Moraine wants him to do this other thing. He's not touching that. He's not doing anything that anybody wants him to do. He's the Dragon Reborn, damn it, and he's going to do what he wants. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, so... So Let's go to the Two Rivers. So now Perrin is heading to the Two Rivers, and uh, I won't belabor this point too much, but I do just want to reiterate something from our Dragon Reborn uh, discussions, which is I hate Fael. I (laughs) hate her so much. Now, that being said, I, I could not possibly express how much I hated her at the beginning of this book by the end of it I just regular hated her which <laughs> which was a real improvement right. for her um and so yeah I still well, don't I still don't like her but she and she, she is starting to exhibit some redeeming she qualities she dug herself in deep with readers I think by the way that she manipulated Perrin yes right. and and loyal especially yeah. I think the way that she got loyal to swear to take her through the ways or to wherever she wanted to go. She totally did that as a manipulative backstabbing way to get Perrin to take her along. 
And then the way that she treats him all throughout the ways, you know, we've talked about that a little bit, but that is what just digs in. And just, I think people just hate her for that. And, and I think I mentioned it last episode for the dragon reborn is I, I don't like fail, but I hate even more the way that Perrin allows her to treat him. And by the end of this book, he starts to stand up for himself. He starts to fight back and and not just let her bulldoze him completely. And I, yeah, well. I think there was an interesting comment on that one of our sub on the subreddit that one of the one of the redditors posted to try to look at Perrin and F- and Fail's relationship not from the the way that they think and their inner dialogue and all of that kind of stuff, but look at it from simply an action based perspective. What does Fail actually do for Perrin or with Perrin? And like, not necessarily the manipulative, you know, you can follow along 20 feet behind us in the ways right. and, and that kind of crap. But so, the, so the, what are we the, getting at here? Just, just what does she actually do for him? And I think that that's why, you know, she, she, she pulled herself out of you can't believe can't stand her you utterly hate her to you just regular hater she <laughs> is behind well, the scenes doing things to help Perrin you know save his people right and so she comes around at the end too he tries to send her away she comes back she's like no she actually empowers him yeah she everything know, that she does end. is she's she's empowering him to kind of fulfill the role that that let's face it Perrin is too whiny and to emo to make some of those decisions himself, he gets forced into it by the way that Fail treats him, and he makes these decisions based on her. And if it wasn't for her, Perrin wouldn't be as sweet as he is. So, okay. Uh, so thank you, right. subreditor, well, for commenting. To grant that, What's that? This is also one of the criticisms I've come across a little bit as I've been reading this personally and uh, as i've read some other things um jordan does not his strong point is not writing romantic relationships yes the difference between men and women i mean he he belabors a very shallow series of points with relationships yeah and so it's very hard for us to care about fail in this as a romantic partner to Perrin when their chemistry is pretty much because the author said so because she's pretty and Perrin finds her pretty and because they're supposedly opposites like there's been very little in terms of their relationship that makes me want to believe that this man has fallen in love with her now I actually like them I lie don't mind her and I like them but I don't think that it's a well-written relationship because it's yeah. it's hey i'm gonna badger you until you finally break down and then we're gonna kiss each other because that's what happens in rom-coms <laughs> uh yeah i, I mean, mean that's how i got was, married it was the 90s so um you know kind of going on on something you said just a moment ago ryan uh he and the way that he writes not the men and women themselves, but the relationship between men and women and how he kind of hits on lots of shallow stuff there. Um, yeah, that that's one thing that's kind of driving me crazy at, at this point, just a little bit, which is 
when it comes to the individual characters themselves, I feel like Robert Jordan has done such a great job of making them individuals. He he makes a lot of hay, or he tries to make a lot of hay, out of uh, the men versus women thing, and all men are like this, and all women are like this, but uh, when he actually writes the characters, they are all individual. They have their own characteristics, they have their own personality traits, and flaws, and strengths, and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. it, and so it's a little disappointing, I guess, to, uh, to keep reading about... Uh, how all the characters treat each other based on nothing more than their gender. See, but right? I, I feel yeah. like that's really true to life. Is it? I feel like it is. I maybe, think that maybe. when you, when you take the time to get to know somebody, whether it's man or woman, you understand that they are individual. They have their own ideas and beliefs and eccentricities and, I mean, they are this complete world of a person. Yeah. But when you think of it and take a step back, I mean, I think we see it all the time in day-to-day life where it's like, you know, oh, well, that's because he's a man and he doesn't, he can't multitask or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, no, I know a lot of men that can multitask and fairly well, but, or it's like, oh, it's because she's a woman and whatever stereotype you want to throw out there. But <laughs> I notice you don't dare no, throw don't. one out for she that. She can't tell no, directions my, wi- my wife likes to listen to this podcast, so <laughs> I will not touch that. But I do think that it's very true to life. I think that the dichotomy of men and women gets very you know, generic in real life. And yeah. he keeps it very generic in the way that the women's circle deals with this with the village council you know it's it's possible that i'm just not giving him enough credit i guess as i'm reading it feels like the way he treats individual characters is very deliberate and then the way that he treats uh the the gender war is more reflexive but i i could be reading it wrong and i'm totally happy to it's also just no i see it too it's also just frustrating when you write such a good individual character like, you know, like Rand. And then when he starts interacting with women, he becomes Ross from Friends screaming, we were on a break. <laughs> right. <That's-> exactly. <laughs> I would be interested I, if we okay. do. I got to say, I got to say. So I feel like a bunch of Ryan's comments over the last two episodes have been like really well prepared in advance. Are you just like, do you just have a bunch of these jokes sitting there? <laughs> are you taking advantage of the fact that you are, uh, that you're remote? So you have these like pages of, of jokes that you've written just waiting in the wings. I love it. it it's funny. Cause I thought of another friend's reference in re- regards to the IEL, but if it comes up again, I'll tell it. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Um, I would really like to hear from, any of our female listeners that read mm. Wheel of Time, if we yes. do have, it's probably worth noting that we're a bunch of 30 year old dudes. In case you hadn't <laughs> noted it yet. Yes. Ken is a 30 year old dude. Let's pretend that. Yeah. I, I wish I were a 30 but, year you old know, dude anymore. So we don't have that same perspective and we might think that Jordan writes a female character really well or really poorly, but that's based off of, of our perspective, our perspective. Sure. And I would, if we do have any female listeners, you know, hit us up on Reddit or on Facebook or whatever, and let us know what do you think about this whole male versus female or like even just how Jordan writes female characters. Is it true to life or is it stereotypical and fairly shallow? 
Well, we Do know you we, really we've... reference all of your geographical location by your breast location. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? That's right. I said, do you really reference everything about your body based on your location of your breasts? Like I, that's. I mean, I understood the words you said, but I have no idea what you're referencing. The fact that they always fold their arms under their knee. Like, he could write that they sat down cross-legged and their legs were under their breasts. That's, that's what I'm getting <laughs> back to that point. That's right. Every, yeah. every time they fold their arms under their breasts, every time they wear this, the, the Tehran Real between their breasts, every time. They, yeah, it, every, every dress accentuates the breasts. Every yeah. One, yeah, every time. That's yeah. why I say he's, he's a, he's a dirty old man. He's, he's a boob guy. 30-year-old white males talking about this. What do you think is going to get us into these books? He, <laughs> he is a dirty old man. Every time they have to use a Tehran Real or every time they have to use some magic thing, all, all the women got to get naked every time. They got to strip down to go into Roy and They got to strip down to go through the trials. They got anyway. That is Not pretty to interesting. Not anything ahead, but just wait till we get to an Amarlin seat section. You're gonna I, love that, Ken. No, I don't love it. I think I, it's stupid. I do think it's really interesting that neither Rand nor Matt had to strip down to go to yeah. Rudian. It's like, but Moraine and Avienda did. Have I want to go into Roy That's all, Please go. all men stay clothed when they go in. Well, yeah. yeah, but yeah. what is the yeah, what's the Why? difference? I don't know. And that's, women are that's oh, okay. So I'm sorry, sorry, Perrin. We'll get back to you in just a moment. But uh, that's it. one question that I have that has not yet been answered. That I'll be on the lookout for is what did Moraine do in Ruidion? Um, I I don't think that was ever explained even in passing. And so I'll I'll be on the lookout there. Uh, we don't really know much at all about what the women go through there. Uh, well, if it's the I, we same know that thing. the wise ones do something very similar to the clan chiefs because be, because they see the the, the history of the, the Aiel. But they go in so, again. So we know that Avienda has seen that history right. when she comes out. Um, I don't want to spend however, too long on this. But yeah, however, R- Matt went to Ruidian as well, did not have the Aiel experience. He had the Tarangrial experience through the arches and that's what and, i'm wondering if and moraine, moraine yeah moraine yes. also went through the arches in tears so is that moraine's right Ruidian experience yeah, okay anyway. anyway sorry back to perrin back to perrin um who okay let's talk slayer uh not the the band not the uh classic <laughs> thrasher metal band uh <laughs> but rather slayer the dream walking wolf killer luke uh, and so yeah it's uh it's kind of and, and there's another character named Lord Luke who shows up and he's kind of a foppish uh, hunter for the horn who likes attention and the ladies and... And yeah. Myrdral decapitation. And, and Myrdral decapitation. He, he is good at killing Myrdral. So, so it's... Coincidence? <laughs> I think <laughs> not. not. It's fairly understood by the end of the book that he is, in fact, Slayer, right? It's never yeah. come out and said, but but Perrin shoots Slayer, and then Lord Luke has to leave because he's injured, right? Runs mm-hmm. off real quick, holding his arm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I guess it was an interesting bit, but by the end of the book, I, I, I was kind of sitting there thinking, why did, why did that matter? Uh, he'll have to come back in future books because that... It had no effect on anything in this book that I could tell. He he felt like he completely felt like set up for future books. Like, why were you here? I guess we'll yeah. find out in books five through 13. You right, know? right. I think it shows that although there's all kinds of movement going on in the real world, there's also very important shadow activity in the wolf dream or the world yeah. of dreams. And, you know, I 
Jordan is setting up Egwene and Perrin as the champions for that dimension. The champions of the Dreamwalker. You know, the Dreamwalker, uh, Wolf Dream. They're going to be doing all kinds of things on that side, while our other heroes, Nynaeve, Rand, you know, all the other ones are going to be doing things in the real world. And Slayer is kind of the shadowy opposite um, for that, kind of the antagonist of the of the dream, I guess. Um, I thought it was really interesting that they always that that Perrin says that he always looks like Lan, like he they show the description of him or oh, Jordan gives oh, the description yeah. does. and Slayer looks like Lan and and uh, I don't remember is it is it Nynaeve that's in the world of dreams and she sees Slayer I don't know at a certain point uh, I don't remember I remember uh, maybe Egwene maybe it's Egwene. One of the I, one, one of the girls is in the dream, and they encounter Slayer as well. And then um, I'm calling her Bridget because that's what I do. Sure, yeah. she shows up, and you know she and says you don't want to mess with this in, guy. Yeah, you don't want to mess with this guy either. Um, yeah, so there, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things going on, mm. but Slayer, I think, is kind of Perrin's like teacher in a way because Perrin is constantly battling with him in the world of dreams and he has to figure out how to do things in the world of dreams to right. combat slayer okay so oh, uh yeah, so man. kind of necessity being the mother of mm. learning i guess here yeah i mean sure. yeah. yeah okay all right uh all right what else do we want to talk we about didn't, we didn't even get to the best part of going back to emmons field and that's meeting tam althor and abel cawthon Oh, oh man, oh, there's cool. a lot. There's still a lot to cover in the two rivers. Let's, let's the, not leave the two rivers just yet. No, I have no intention of doing so. Somebody uh, on the Reddit thread that I posted before we recorded the last episode uh, made a comment that made me go, "Wait, what?" And that was, "Did they do the right thing?" They being everybody who knows, did they do the right thing not telling Tam about Rand? And I guess I, I it just struck me like a bell. Like I never even thought that oh they they really should have told him something yeah and, but they don't they don't tell him anything that uh, about rand being the dragon reborn you it's, mean when they and, when they go to the white tower and get turned turned away or it's no, really I interesting mean, how parent how parent skirts that as well because you know matt's dad's asking him about what's going on and he's telling him you know matt's just dicing dicing it up and getting the ladies or whatever and then he kind of looks over at tam and tam's like listening in and and he says something about like how's rand doing or something and and he doesn't tell him anything worthwhile, but he says the last time I saw Rand, he had a pretty, had a pretty red, red head. head on his sh- on his arm or something like that. So he's you know he's telling him the truth, but he's telling him he's not telling him anything of of importance. Really, he's he's dying Tam. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And and to the redditor's question, I feel like no, they did not do the right thing by not telling Tam. I feel like Tam, who is like a secret badass yeah needs to know these things blade master but, and yeah, he's well, sweet and uh, he knows he knows more about Rand's destiny than he let than he lets on i mean too, maybe I we don't know it, it feels like even from the very beginning it feels like he does it's like you know i i haven't told you when i where i found you and what the circumstances are when i brought you home and everything he knows it would be interesting to he see knows what, more like, of if he up. suspects and like get it and we probably won't ever but get a, a tam point of view chapter and just right. like because, I mean, his whole backstory is so cool about him being, like, this general or captain or whatever and, 
and leading you know the Kyrian army in during the Iil War, yeah. and that he's this blade master, and I don't know, he's just he's like, just sweet. And I yeah, said even I, back from the Eye of the World, I wanted to see more of of Emmonsfield and the and the Two Rivers folk, and so I'm I'm excited that we're back there and that we're staying there because Perrin's sticking around, right? Yeah. I mean, so well, yeah, it seems that way. And uh, so far, so are two Aes uh, uh, Sedai, Varen and Alana. Yeah. Now. Who the, just conveniently happened to be there? Well, I mean, obviously not fortuitous. They're they're there for a reason, and I. Um, uh, Tubby Ren. <laughs> Tubby, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Ren. Oh shoot, you guys, we just lost Ryan again. Oh, that's too bad. So he, uh, yeah, he dropped off, but apparently he's got something he's got to go do. So we'll finish this up ourselves. Uh, what was I saying? Okay, so Varen and Alana are there. And I, I really like, and we mentioned this with Varen in book three, I think. Um, I really like the way that he doesn't let you know whether you can trust Varen. You know, when she gives Egwene the Tarang Royale and all the info, and you're like, okay, what's her motivation? And is she is she a dark friend or not? Uh, and he continues that into this book and then throws Alana into the mix as well. And, and so now you and don't even, know. And even to the point where Varen with Alana, Varen tells Perrin, watch out for Alana. Right. And you don't know, like, is she on Perrin's side or is she just gumming up the works here for her own ends? And so... It's a die, man. Yeah, there's no resolution on this one yet, but I I do like the deft way in which he has turned these two characters into very, very mysterious uh, uh, things going on here. She she felt like Varen in, in... Book three in the Dragon Reborn felt like the the nerdy friend who you know is always pushing up her glasses and and she's into a book but but secretly there's a little bit more to her if you just you know you get the glasses off and you give her something to do. <laughs> is this uh, she's all or yeah, no she's it, all that is exactly. that the name of the movie yeah okay speaking well, of '90s uh, um, what, what, what rom coms yep exactly well I'm thinking more along the lines of Felicity Smoke Arrow on the CW. Well, or wherever you see it, but you know where where she seems like the, the nerdy friend who's who's kind of bookish, but once you get her into you know her element on the computer and stuff, mm-hmm. she's really actually you know offers a whole lot, and that that's what Varen felt like. But now she's you know does she know more than she's oh yeah leading on, and, and mm-hmm. is she really you know conducting her own little secret side thing? And now we kind of got an idea that yeah, she's really there's something more she's doing that she's not letting on and. She's not nearly as naive and bookish as well. She's completely bookish, but she's right. not as innocent or or useless as she's led on, right. led to believe. Yeah. So uh, let's see. El- uh, otherwise, in the two rivers, there are some really great action scenes. I think those. This is the best action in the whole book. Oh uh, yeah. As far as you know, actual classic action that's going, going yeah. on. Um, but I, I'm not sure there's much to talk about there other than... Perrin finally gets I, to I step do up. wonder why does Ordeeth keep pressing the issue when he realizes that Rand isn't there? Is he still trying to draw Rand? Or now is he going after Perrin because Perrin's there and he might as well? Do I think you, probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I mean, he just... He hates Rand the most. But he was also when, you know, back in the beginning, Pat and Fane, he was set to follow... All three, all of, three them. of them. Yeah, he wasn't sure and, which one uh, was. And I think the idea of completely destroying the two rivers would 
you know, strike a huge blow to Rand, even if he doesn't actually lure him there to have some sort of one-on-one, you know, pistols at dawn. He still wants to wipe out the two rivers and wipe out Rand's home to strike that blow because he hates him so much. Um, There's that great scene with him in the tent and he's got this mirdrill tied up (laughs) and he's like torturing this mirdrill. And it just, it just cements home how crazy and evil and just, just, creepy he's very disturbed this Ordeeth Patton Fain character yeah, is yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned something like you know if, if it would be such a blow to Rand if Ordeeth could destroy the entire two rivers and that just reminded me you know we th- this book serves a lot of functions uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens in it there's a lot of character development a lot of events a lot of uh, obvious setup for future books and one of the things that it does is it takes away every last safe harbor that we have in Randland. And so in this case, there are Trollocs and White Cloaks infesting the entire two rivers and nobody is safe and they all have to band together and, and try to save the day. Then, uh, just at the kind of at the tail end of the book, in the Min chapters, suddenly the White Tower, which is the pillar of strength in the entirety of Randland, goes and, down and the safe haven yep. for our wonder girls and yeah yeah and, and yeah. so yeah. now it's not clear at this point in fact I, i'd say it's pretty clear at this point that it hasn't fallen to uh the black aja necessarily because elida is battling the dark but uh but it's possible that there are some black aja machinations going on in the background but either way yeah, this is no longer, like you say, a safe harbor for the Wonder Girls or anybody else. And now, with that, it's all gone. There's nowhere left that um, that the Wonder Friends, I guess we'll call them, yeah. can run to. There's conflict everywhere. Yeah. And so... Or, I, or, or is there? Because, I mean, we... And this was kind of a some... I don't know, I was thinking for predictions section, but we haven't been past the spine of the world yet, have we? Uh, no, the that's waste. that's the waste. The Isle, that's the Isle Waste. Yeah, okay, the spine so. of the world is what separates. The Dragon Wall is yeah. the, other, the other word that they use yeah, for the, Yeah, there is, I mean, there are some lands beyond that, and we know that there are lands over the sea. There's yeah, the, so the I mean, Shan Chan and whatnot. And but, but even all those, like, as far as we know, they're all at war. The only one we don't know about is the whatever the lands are beyond the Isle Waste. Right. Uh, that's, that's Shara. Sh- yeah. yeah, and the only and thing that we I know mean. about Shara so far is that the Aiel will trade with them and that silk silk comes from there. And that's really about all we know. They yeah, don't right. let anyone into their lands like at all. And, like they, I picture it as like in Game of Thrones. Um, if you watch Game of Going Thrones or if you read Game of Thrones. Yeah. Well, they get to the city of Karth. Um, I think it's the first city that Daenerys and her yeah, and her yeah, companions right. get you to get me, when they've been wandering essentially the Aiel Waste. Yeah. Um, and they get to the city of Karth and they call it the 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 Garden of Bones or the Bones Garden or something like that because they never yeah. open their doors to anybody. And then all of a sudden they come out when they see that Daenerys has all these dragons and like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it reminds me of that where it's basically this, you know, completely new land and like safe haven or whatever from just the awfulness that is the waste. And they're just like, nope, nobody's coming in. 
All right. Well, so that, that's why I'm saying we don't have to dwell on Shara don't, anymore. Don't spoil it for me, but I yeah, I'll be watching for that one. That to was, see if we ever get to see beyond the waste. Yep. That was that was in my things to watch section yeah, that yeah, I yeah. I've written down. But anyway, uh, so back to the yeah. There's nothing safe though. There's there everywhere is in conflict. Let's talk about the White Tower falling. Um, and uh, what an, an interesting bit that is. Now, was it you, Kyle, saying you don't like the Min chapters and you? I hate don't reading like, them, especially yeah. like the first chapter in this book is a Min point of view chapter. Yeah, and and I have a very love hate relationship with all of the Min chapters because I just, for whatever reason, don't love Min. I think that she's boring. <laughs> I think it's it's not the same type of hate fire that I have for Egwene. <laughs> It's simply oh, Egwene, yours is Egwene. Mine's oh, Fayil. Yeah, I ugh, Egwene. <laughs> yeah, I, it's not that I hate Min. I just think that she is about as interesting as watching paint dry. And <laughs> <laughs> but what's cool about the Min chapters is what's going on around Min, and I can appreciate it as a literary, you know, a, a piece of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. whatever however you want I, to the way i think of men and maybe this is what you're about to get at but uh men is harry potter men is um oh what's the name of the, the girl from uh twilight um oh nobody knows i i do i just don't want to <laughs> say it stewart her name's alice Kristen stewart um oh I thought you were talking about the one that could tell the predictions and no, stuff. No, 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 no. Yeah, she, uh, no, she's she is. I don't remember the character's name. I guess Kristen it doesn't. Stewart. It doesn't yeah. matter at this point. But uh, yeah, let's just go go with the Harry Potter analogy. It's Harry Potter. Harry Potter is not interesting. He is he's boring. He's stoic. Yeah. He is relatively humor humorless. Um, he is a boring character. Now, what makes Harry Potter amazing? And I believe me, I uh, I bow to no one in my uh, love for those books. I I love them, but it's everything that happens around him that's so interesting. And what's nice about Harry Potter and men in this case is that these serve as every men, uh, every men. I guess oh, we call nice. nice. Yes, here we go. Uh, so men is the vehicle for us to experience stuff. And I mean, every character is supposed to be that to some extent or another, but he really kind of, to your point, Kyle, uh, Robert Jordan seems to have stripped most of the personality out of men. And maybe that was just kind of because that's how she turned out. But in any other story, if she had gotten her own stuff, this would have been totally unremarkable because it's so commonly done where this is somebody without a whole lot of uh, individual characteristics and so it makes it a lot easier for uh, the reader to put themselves into that mindset and just uh, e- experience yeah. it as themselves and, well, I, and I, I just hate the fortune telling aspect of it I just yeah it's such well, a crutch of a, I, uh, I, don't I don't know and I don't know maybe I'll maybe I'm in deep water here because I know that a lot of people like men just based off of I like, like men reading forums and things like that a lot of people like men but if you if you are a men fan Seriously, look at Min's character. I thought you were just going to leave it there. If you are like, a Min fan, seriously? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. No, but look at Min. Look at Min's character. And if you finish the series all the way through, I'm, we're, you know, we won't talk about any spoilers or anything like this. But look at Min's character. And aside from her fortune-telling aura ability, being able to look at somebody and have these auras about her, take that out. And what does she and, change? Yeah, and if you took Min completely out of the story, what? So like, 
Min is the character that if I were writing the screenplay for Wheel of Time, mm-hmm. I would give one or two qualities from Min to other to more important else. characters and, and I would completely. completely remove Min from the from the right, equation right, right. and I don't think that you would lose anything. So in and, that and way... Keep, so keep in mind, I have read this series through to the end six times. So I... And, and maybe it's just my personal opinion. I just don't think that she adds all that much. And to Ryan's point earlier about Robert Jordan writing romantic relationships... Min's whole infatuation with Rand is so contrived. Yeah, yes, it kind of came out of nowhere. I just and and it really is one hundred percent based on she saw a vision that said she would fall in love with him. So okay, <laughs> see, and that and that's why I hate the visions. It just contrives everything. I'm, but Min, Min herself, I. I enjoy her. I don't. Yeah, she, I don't mind her. She, you don't have to be relevant necessarily to everything to be enjoyable, and and that's that's Min to me. I, I mean, think she's, she's she fine. she works as a plot device as to give us a fly on the wall to what's going on in the White Tower or wherever right. she mm-hmm. ends up being, so that Jordan can construct this greater picture of. You know conflict and what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. I do think, however, that that could have easily have been done through doing Swan Sanche point of views yeah. or Logan point of views or whatever else is going on in the White Tower. I just, again, personal opinion. If you love men, great. You can crucify me on Reddit all you want. I <laughs> I still think if you took away one or two qualities from men, viewings and Whatever, you know, whatever Rand's attachment is to her, if you took those away, you would not lose anything if you took her completely out of the story. I agree. Right on, right on. But at least she gives us the insight into the White Tower, which yeah. I find well, interesting. Again, again, as a literary device, it works. I, uh, but what's going on around men is what we originally were talking about with the whole Elida deposing Swan and Swan and Leon or Which, Leanna or whatever have been yeah stilled, been stilled. and oh that's jacked up crazy the way the way he writes stilling and I mean just calling it stilling I, it's really well chilling I guess uh, yeah it really uh, yeah I, I get an emotional reaction out of it kind of similar to when Egwene was collared. And uh, you you just have this kind of visceral reaction to even reading about that. I, I feel that way. I, I like the way he's written those two. Um, but there is one other character that I want to talk about in the White Tower. And that's Galad. Who is uh, very... Galad or Gowan? No, Galad. Okay. Galad is very infatuated with the White Cloaks. Uh, philosophy, at least. He is reading the... Uh, the yeah. book that was written by the founder of the White Cloaks. And and uh, there, so there's a couple of things I want to mention. First of all, I am very interested in where that's going to go and, and what Galad as a character will become. I know he's tertiary at best, but, um, but he seems like he's in a position as the, uh, I think he's crown prince. Uh, oh, and I guess there is no crown prince of Andor since they have queens. But anyway, he's mm-hmm. a prince of Andor. He's in a position to affect a lot of things in the plot and now he's uh he's bumming around with white cloaks in tarvalin so that's very and he's also johnny boy scout right yes uh and then and also, those characters always 
they always turn out bad. So Min Min picks up the book that he's reading and reads a passage out of it. And this was just another kind of point of interest. This isn't really a big thing, but the and I tried to pull up the quote and I I couldn't find it right off the uh, uh, right away here. So I'll leave it. But if you go back and read the quote that Min reads out of the book, it is straight up. Uh, New Testament. It is something that the Apostle Paul would have written or something, you know, very, very similar. Uh, And it's just another thing that cements in my mind the idea that Robert Jordan thought of the White Cloaks as Catholics. Um, Christians, I guess, but I I feel like medieval Catholics most specifically. So uh, anyway, I'll I'll have my eye on him. And to that, you know, uh, his brother Gawain, and like what Ken was saying, let's bring that up as well, because Galad's doing his own thing with the White Cloaks or, or reading into that and seeing what's going on. But as this whole White Tower turmoil happens, Gowan finds himself on Team Elida. Right. Yeah. And through a sense of loyalty, it seems, right? Yeah. It's through a sense of loyalty to Egwene. Well, I, is it that? I, I kind of just figured it was loyalty to the White Tower and this is now the White Tower. Um. And so it, and, it seemed perfectly oh, yeah, yeah, And okay, he has yeah, no I love see, for Swan See, this, is, this is the problem right. I was having with all the E's. But yeah, he, he finds himself on, on Team Elida because, because Team Elida is, is representing fixing, for lack of a better term, uh, the Aes Sedai. Because she's, she's, I think she's, by the way, this is a sidebar a little bit. I think she's being whispered to by a Forsaken or by somebody of the Black Aja she's not black Aja herself, but she's being, she's being manipulated. Right, right, right. Well, well and keep in mind, she's been kicked out of, uh, Kyra, Kyra, Camelin. Camelin. Thank mm-hmm. you. She's been kicked out of Camelin by this new, or, and, and deposed by this new, I thought she just left. Well, I mean, she was, she was, she was driven out by driven this out new, by more gays. Right. Well, who's being whispered to by this new, uh, advisor of mm-hmm. hers, who's basically driven her, driven Elida back to the white tower, Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, she's being she's being puppeted back to the White Tower to basically, you know, depose Swan Sanche and put the White Tower under new management. That you know mm-hmm. it has now happened, and Gowan's kind of going along because, well, this is the new White Tower, mm-hmm. so this is what well. And, doing, and again, know. he also has no love for Swan Sanche because she I think that's sent a, that's a good point. Egwene and Elaine. Yeah out and she would she would not i mean in classic that, swan fashion she doesn't she she does what she wants and she explains and to she no doesn't one explain it exactly. and so he's a little bit you know mad at her or whatever yeah, yeah. and That's what i thought I'm was really sense, really cool yeah. and kind of sad is that uh gowan ends up killing the warder trainer oh right, oh, right. hamar yeah and like there's kind of like whispers like when he's at the very, very end, um, when they find Min and and uh, or when Min run, when Min and Swan and Lyanna run into run into Gowan and and he like shuffles them off and gets them out of there or whatever. Right. And they're all whispering like, "Oh, he's the one that killed killed Hammer. He's the one that killed mm-hmm. all these like huge, famous warders that are like invincible, total, yeah. totally he- awesome." And which which shows you like. Gowan's not not a man to be messed with yeah. when it comes to the sword. Which, by the way, um, takes you back to the Dragon Reborn, and this guy who's not to be messed with got schooled by a Matt. farmer with a stick. Yeah, a farmer right, with a stick. Right, right. 
So anyway, but yeah. But I mean, Matt has a nice new shiny stick. That's right. Well, okay. So we only have a few minutes. I don't want to do another. <laughs> we did like 75 minutes on the last episode. And uh, I, I want to wrap this up sooner than that. But this I also want so to uh, leave those characters behind and talk briefly about Egwene and her tutelage under the wise ones. Um, yeah. Now she is going to be learning how to dream walk, but we haven't seen a lot of that in this book there's a lot of like putting Egwene in her place which is very yeah, fun she, to watch she got slapped awesome. down plenty but, because uh, she tried to dream walk on her own yeah but there's not a lot of like okay so here's what dream walking is and here's how it works so I'm, I'm hoping for more of that uh, I'd like to know what her is she never went did she go into Rudion no, no. okay she not. hasn't been there yet um, or and now she never will at least not in the capacity that uh, everybody has gone there um, but I, I have to say, especially I'm, I'm glaring right at you, Kyle, because you hate Egwene so much and, uh, and I do not, <laughs> I actually really like Egwene and I, I realized in this book, at least I think I've realized why that is. Egwene is, she's a know-it-all. And so I get why she's annoying. I totally get that, but so am I. and uh, there's only room for one know-it-all in my life and i have to you know (laughs) see you at work every day so i I do see i do see some of myself in her it's not just that i i do think i have a tendency to be a very annoying know-it-all sometimes um but it's it's that and a certain uh rabid curiosity uh or a, a thirst for knowledge i guess if we're putting it a little more politely but she needs to know if there's something and she doesn't know it, she wants to know it. And I, I feel very much akin to that, um, you know, with my personality. And so when I'm reading her, I'm going, Oh yeah, totally. You know, she, um, when she meets the wise ones, she's cocky and she's arrogant, but then she also acknowledges that there's a ton of stuff that she needs to learn. And she's just humble enough to realize I can't learn it on my own. And these, I, I need these people to help me. She's no Superman. And that's, <laughs> and that's, uh, I, that's very true to how I kind of go through life. Like, yeah, I'm pretty cocky and I can come off as really arrogant, even if, you know, whatever uh, I, I can. And uh, but I but I have this thirst for knowledge. I just want to know all the things all the time. And so yeah, I, I dig I dig on Egwene for that reason. Ken, we already know what Kyle thinks, but do you like Egwene? I I haven't up until this point, and I think that was pretty much clear by the fact that I don't even want to call her the right name. But um, Robert Jordan has done a lot of stuff in in this book to excise a lot of what I've hated about most of these characters. <laughs> okay. I mean, cause I, I had a lot of complaints about Egwene in the first three books, um, mainly because, you know, she's a busybody and she's, she just, she picks it Rand and she, she thinks, you know, more highly of everything about her was annoying up and up until book, uh, up until this book, uh, same with Nynaeve, same with, well, I still hate Fayil, but, um, and Matt, I mean, I had, I had things that I didn't like about most of these characters, but he is, he's, uh, done a good job in book four of excising all the things I hated and making them characters that I really enjoy. And if yeah. you're a simple minded level one kind of guy, like I am, and, and you're reading these books, then 
you're finally getting some payoff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, in in this book. So yeah, Egwene is coming around to me and and the things that she's doing in the in the uh Teleron Riod with the dream walking and and now with the learning more about it that's becoming compelling to me. All right. I so, yeah. I will add the fact that we feel so passionately or that I feel so passionately about Egwene indicates of how how well written she is. Okay. And that so, goes yeah. She is very well developed. She's a very well written character. You just wouldn't want to hang out with her. Yeah, I just hate her personality. <laughs> that, that's what. <laughs> let me guess. You have a great personality. Well, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Maybe it was last episode. I don't remember that they all kind of blend together. That he writes. He does a great job of writing individual characters. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. gives Egwene, them some good depth. Yeah. Egwene is the embodiment of what Aes Sedai think they are. Mm. Ooh, okay. I, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's and that's how I can. That's the best way that I can sum up Egwene. I said I and Egwene in general think that they are the premier, you know, beings. Beings, <laughs> or like, you know, I have to be in charge. We're in charge of this. We, you know, everybody should consult me for everything that we do. And and I can appreciate your, you know, everything that you said about Egwene and and why you like her and. And just the way that she is, I can appreciate that. My one counter argument would be that I, I, while I do think that she has that thirst for knowledge, I think that she has a greater thirst for power. Mm, okay. Um, and I think that that is... And maybe that's what I see. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. But that is one thing that I do not like about her. Cause, and we talked about this in a couple of podcasts already, that when they were in Two Rivers, before they even knew that there was a world outside of the Two Rivers, mm-hmm. Egwene wanted to be Nynaeve because Nynaeve was yeah. the who's the who. The most powerful the woman. The most powerful was. woman that there was. And as soon as Moraine comes in, all of a sudden Egwene wants to be Moraine. Yeah. Yeah. Now she sees these. And then when they get to the White Tower, she wants to be Suan yeah. Sanche. And now yeah. she wants now to that be, she's yeah. in Now that she's an Aes Sedai or unaccepted and she sees that there's this dreamwalking power, she wants to be a miss, you know. Amis, whatever right, her name right, is. Right, right, right. And uh, she wants these things. And I think that that ambition is good, but I also feel like it's Egwene's thirst for power. She's just a star chaser. That that really drives me crazy. And just the way that she, just her in general. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, uh, we'd better call it. Let me bring in one more point I before we go. I was just going to say final thoughts. Yeah, so final let's thought. make it your final thought. Okay, final thought. We learn in this book that the wise ones can channel, and we also learn that the wind finders for the sea folk can channel. Yeah. Mm, right. So Aes Sedai... Topless, obviously. Yes. <laughs> Natural. See, <and> then, <laughs> there you go. Aes Sedai, and, and this actually is a pretty good segue off of what we were just talking about, of what Aes Sedai think that they are. They think that they are the premier power in the world because they have the ability to channel. They have the education that the White Tower gives them and all of that. Well, we're finding out, one, that the White Tower is clearly not as stable as as perceived by the world because it was so easily overthrown from within. And two, there are all kinds of other channelers out there that are not beholden to the White Tower, Aes Sedai, yeah. Mantra, and the three oaths and things like right, that. Right, right. You've got wise ones who are their own complete society who can channel, who can do that thing. Some whatever. of whom can channel. Some of whom, yeah. 
and you've got Windfinders who, you know, Elaine comments that I can't remember what the Windfinder's name is, but when she's working with those wind or those air weaves or whatever, it's like the biggest weave she's ever seen in her life. And like they can totally channel immense, immense power. And so we're starting to see really just how diverse this world is. Right. And that, you know, I said I might think that they are the premier power, but probably not for long. Okay. All right. Ken, any final thoughts? Um, I just, I had a whole list of predictions, but one of the, one of the things I thought reading uh, through the first section before we got out of tier that I, I just wrote down and I don't know if it's going to come up to anything, but I wrote down watching Rand try to be a leader feels like a fun adventure in all the wrong ideas, meaning, you know, he, he's providing for the peasants at the expense of relations with the lords. And he, it feels like there's a recipe there for bad. Like he's, he's, he's ticked off all these lords and then he just he skirts out of the, the stone and goes and runs off to be with the ideal, leaving these guys with a bad taste in their mouth because he's told them, you know, stop being mean to your peasants. There's another uh, parallel with um, Dragon Lady from oh, Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. yeah. Daenerys. Daenerys. Yeah. So anyway, he's, he's, he's ticked them all off, told them, you know, be nicer to your peasants and, and don't be so rich. Now I'm going to go off and do this <laughs> thing. You know, that it feels like that's going to come back to bite him. All right. Okay. So he's going to have to take his little army of Aiel and and retake Tyr. and retake Tyr and and, okay. and stomp you know curb stomp a res, uh, an insurrection you know <laughs> okay <laughs> so. I'll, I'll be looking forward to the curb stomping I don't know if that's ha- <laughs> going to happen or not or if I'm reading too much into that but it just it's something that struck me um, I have two final thoughts neither of which are actually consequential to the oh, discussion can itself. I give you another one uh, Perrin will fine. immediately regret his fatalistic marriage to Fail. Okay. Oh, yeah, they're married. It's like, oh, I thought it was oh, going to be right. dead in five minutes. I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> that's my last uh, one. Okay, so one of my final thoughts is the final word of the day. I can't <laughs> believe how distracting. Oh, wow. I, like, I, I looked down. Okay, so I've got this little counter that says how long we've been recording. And uh, I looked down, and it said 20 minutes. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll let it go a little longer. And then I looked down, and it says 55 minutes. And I, uh, okay, I guess we're just doing this at the end. Uh, but first, before I do that, I... I just wanted to relate a little story. Now they say that um, uh, they say that smell is supposed to be the most closely tied sense to memory, right? And I think that bears out pretty well. But there's something about sound for me, and I I, I don't know if I'm uh, if I'm unique in this way or or whatever, or if it's a thing for everybody, but. Oftentimes I'll hear a, a song or something that I haven't heard in years and it'll take me right back. I, 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 heard, I heard an Evanescence song a little while ago and it took me right back to playing Mario 3 when I was like 16 years old and playing the Nintendo or whatever. Uh, but anyway, um, it, it, this was a joy to listen to. I listened to the audiobook for maybe 20 or 30% of this and, and the rest of it I was kind of reading it on my Kindle. And uh, it took me right back to, uh, I used to bike commute when I lived in Seattle, and I would go along the Sammamish River Trail uh, when I would ride to and from work. And it was a long ride, it was 45 minutes to an hour, and uh, and I would listen to The Wheel of Time. And there was one line somewhere in there that just took me right back, and it was such a joy, and it it 
that sense of nostalgia that I got and the, the memory, it just made this book even sweeter for me. And uh, it, this has absolutely no consequence or meaning for anybody else. I just wanted to to point it out. I loved uh, that little bit. And and these two people's voices, uh, Michael Kramer and Kate Redding, they, they do a great job and they're so... Um, they're so individual, those voices. And so uh, it really took me back. Loved reading it or listening to it, I should say. So what were you going to say? Joke? No, I, nope, okay. I just, I love, I love these two uh, narrators. I think they're yep. fantastic. It's, I, I got to say, it is so much better this time around, not purely listening. I didn't read a single word on my first read through. I simply listened to the uh, audiobooks, and it's, I'd say it's better to read it, but uh, I like doing both. It's nice. Uh, word of the day. Finally, the word of the day today is Kalendor. So you've had three words of the day. The final one is Kalendor, and uh, the phrase illustrates my one of my greatest frustrations uh, as far as decision-making goes in these books, and I understand from an author's perspective why this thing had to happen, but you know, boy, does it not make a lot of uh, logical sense. Anyway, so you've had three words of the day. Go ahead and, and tweet those at, at Legendarium Pod. That's our Twitter handle, and I will field all of those. If you will tweet that phrase, you can hashtag it if you'd like, and then note in the tweet what your preferred prize is in the order that you prefer them. We have a copy of A Memory of Light, a hardbound copy of A Memory of Light, we have um, a Wheel of Time coloring book, an adult coloring book, and we have a Legendary Podcast t-shirt. Uh, I, I should put up like a picture of somebody wearing that on the website so you can kind of see, or not on our website, but on uh, maybe the Facebook page so you can kind of see what that looks like. I think it's really cool. It's basically just a blue t-shirt with a kind of silvery uh, version of the the legendary podcast tree logo the that you can see all over the place. So, Avendasora. Uh, sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's say it's Avendasora. Uh, anyway, any of those prizes that strike your fancy, go ahead and order which. Uh, put down which order you like those, and uh, we'll see if we can get people their preferred prizes after we draw names from a hat. Anyway, if that doesn't make sense, too bad. Because uh, I'm <laughs> sick of explaining it. <laughs> uh, let's call it, you guys. It's another long episode, but uh, I think it's worth it. This was a hefty book and a lot of fun to read. Um, when I got to the end of it, I looked back and didn't remember half of it just yep. because it was so jam-packed with a lot of events, and a lot of characters, a lot of new points of view. Um, and it, yeah, it I was awesome. I wrote down a whole lot more notes than I even remembered writing down. I don't know because <laughs> I haven't gotten through all 14 books. I don't know which one's going to be my favorite, but I know this one's going to be a strong contender. Uh, anyway, next up, what, what's the next book called, Kyle? The Fires of Heaven. The Fires of Heaven. Honestly, I'm just going to start, call, I like not start. I'm going to keep calling them just one through 14. It's, yeah. I can't keep the name straight, at least not yet. So number five, book number five is coming up next. Uh, we'll do that in a couple weeks. And so keep an eye out on Reddit, and we'll ask you for more input. Thank you once again to the Wheel of Time subreddit. Uh, you can find them on reddit.com slash r slash W-O-T. And uh, we will see you guys there and on Facebook. And once again, patreon.com slash legendary is where you can go support the podcast. I'd better stop talking now before you all shut off your radios. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks. <laughs>